okay, so before we get into anything on the episode, like, I'm actually quite... So I we just watched the Santa Claus 3, and I was looking at the Wikipedia page, you know, I was curious about the details of its making, you know, the Burden of Dreams-like saga <laughs> behind its traveling from Walt Disney's imagination to the screen. So I look on Wikipedia, and it says, box office, $110 million worldwide. Budget, $12 million. And I'm sorry... That can't be possible. So I'm looking at that and I think, okay, Wikipedia, somebody just forgot a zero. Like it cost 120 million probably and they forgot to put the zero. But then I go on IMDb, also says $12 million. And like, I'm sorry, I realize this movie looks kind of cheap, but a Disney holiday movie that was theatrically released in the year 2006, like Tim Allen doesn't work for less than $12 million if he's doing the Santa Claus 3. And then falling in a web of confusion and despair because... When I search Santa Claus 3 budget, the first thing I find is a Reddit thread called How Was the Budget for Santa Claus 3? Only $12 million. And uh, somebody says, according to Wikipedia, it was filmed entirely on a soundstage and studio backlot, which severely cuts costs as opposed to filming on location. <laughs> Sets were reused. Like, fil- oh, so they didn't literally go to the North Pole, you're saying? Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, I guess. I guess. And I get that, that, explains I get that, that saves money, but I, I want a full accounting. It can't have cost $12 million. Let's, That's let's, wrong. let's contact our friend Eric Lloyd and find out. I bet he knows. Eric Lloyd, the boy from these movies, yeah. who's a man. And Dunstan checks in. Yeah. yeah. If Eric Lloyd is around, if Tim Allen is around, if Wendy Crewson is listening, anybody involved in this movie, Judge Reinhold, somebody tell me, I want an accounting. This can of cost, what did it actually cost? I, Please. I, it doesn't really, like, I'm not as troubled by this as you. I mean, because $12 million is the fig is our working figure. That's what it says on IMDb and Wikipedia. You said, oh, they must be missing a zero is 120 million how can you look at this movie and think it cost 120 million dollars? how can you look I, at any fucking piece of shit and think it cost 120 million dollars they all look bad i don't think I, th- this movie looks looks like a 12 million dollar movie to me it's like there's like basically like the the north pole set and then a few houses oh, that yeah. doesn't cost no, very no. much you, you think tim and, allen and, no, you worked know, for scale tim allen understands the spirit of christmas it's not just about oh, money yeah. so he he worked for free probably i tell you tim allen loves money so much <laughs> that his pursuit of it landed him in prison <laughs> anyway welcome to michael and us i'm will sloan here as always with luke savage welcome back everyone and a belated merry christmas and a happy holidays to all of you listening uh we didn't really record a christmas episode not in time for christmas anyway so this is basically our christmas episode. well it's holiday leftovers you yeah. know we got a fridge full of uh, turkey and stuffing and we're also ringing in the new year and don't you find it's kind of nice you know you don't always get all sometimes you get your christmas card cards on like the 28th the 29th <laughs> depending on if you sent a christmas card to somebody who wasn't expecting one from you and then they're like oh shit then you get one on the 28th um that's some of the relatable uh, observational comedy that you know somebody like tim allen might do in his stand-up <laughs> act in which i kind of carry the torch on this podcast <laughs> But no, we are uh, we are following up on what has become a, a holiday tradition on the Michael and Us podcast, and that's uh, discussing one of the films, one of the many fine installments in the Santa Claus franchise. And uh, every year that we do this, I object. <laughs> every year I push back. And every year you're wrong. You know, there were previous years when I was maybe less happy with the experiment. This year, this movie, I, I really do think there's something to this one. <laughs> I actually think Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause, is a very good movie for our podcast. I mean, I was so 
excited to close out the, you know, I wanted to see, like, what is the thrilling, like, what is the return of the Jedi of, you know, the Santa Claus franchise? Although, as I learned uh, as the movie was finishing, apparently there's now, like, what, an Amazon Prime TV show with Tim Allen and Eric Lloyd and the whole gang? Right. Well, hang on. I don't want to lead our listeners astray. I believe it's Disney Plus. Okay. Because they're going to be, you say that, they're going to be looking for it. Yeah, well, that's going to be next Christmas. I am curious to see how the Santa Claus franchise adapts to, you know, the current reality. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you're always trying to get us to watch these bad children's movies from 15 or 20 years ago. And I'm always saying, oh, God, do we have to watch that? And then you're always extracting ideology there's from so them. much ideology and, in these and movies the thing is you are right yes because yes. thank a, you american pop and well not just american any pop entertainment from any society reflects the ambient wisdom of its society because these are movies meant to like not rock the boat they're meant to comfort us uh, nestless to sleep man as uh, <laughs> as, as capitalisms <laughs> do their thing around us you know uh, and so they trade in the ambient wisdom of their day they're not discord because that's not what they're supposed to be. That's right. And so we're being entirely flippant here, but we're also being entirely serious. They end up also containing all of the contradictions of the socioeconomic and political order around them. And the Santa Claus trilogy is really no different there. We should probably, before getting to uh, the Santa Claus 3, the escape clause, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where we're at so far, what happens in the first two installments. I mean, everyone knows the Santa Claus. Well, I think it is worth recapping. I also just want to say just off the bat, look, we love doing ideological readings of stuff like this on this podcast. I do want to make clear, this does not matter. We are not here to cancel the Santa Claus 3. We are not here to say that it's not a good leftist entertainment. <laughs> yeah, we're just having fun. We're, ju- we're just having fun. Because, you know, you know you're know, you on social media and you see people go out and, and they're like, oh, Batman's a fascist. And, and therefore, <laughs> you know, like uh-huh. pe- people are always wanting to like left ruin something. I saw people trying to uh, cancel It's a Wonderful Life uh, just the right. other day. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we're not doing that. We're just having fun yeah but we're also deadly serious <laughs> this ideology is there <laughs> so yeah what happened in the previous film so the year is 1994 i'm five years old tim allen has just gotten out of jail from a very serious <laughs> cocaine trafficking charge yep uh just he's, just, he's fresh out and he's uh, looking to reinvent himself find a new game <laughs> <laughs> that's right so d- did you know this is one of my favorite facts ever that for one week in 1994 tim allen had the number one show on tv the number one book on the New York Times bestseller <laughs> list. It's called... If I did it. <laughs> it's it, The book is called, and I am not kidding, Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man. That's okay. the title of his book. Man, man, that's like, that stirred something in me. I feel like I used to see that in like secondhand stores or something. Yeah. So that was the number one bestselling book that week. <laughs> number one. And the number one movie at the box office, which was The Santa Claus. Wow. Like... I don't think anybody else has had a week like that. Yeah. Can, Holy Trinity. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and, and when did he actually get out of jail? Uh, pro- uh, at least a decade before oh, okay. that. Like, right. he rose the ranks of stand-up comedy. I see. You know, he was on The Tonight Show, probably, and he right. got a show, and he got a, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in The Santa Claus, he plays Scott Calvin, a workaholic dad, a divorced dad, one of the many 
divorced dads of 90s american pop cinema <laughs> yeah 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 uh, from robin williams and hook to robin williams and mrs doubtfire to arnold schwarzenegger and jingle all the way not divorced but marriage on the rock right 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 uh jim carrey and liar liar right uh we're missing many There's, more it's like every single movie yeah uh, uh jack frost with michael keaton <laughs> i've never seen where it. he comes becomes reincarnated as a snowman <laughs> um in that movie you'll recall that Tim Allen as Scott Calvin in his weekend with his son, which coincides with Christmas. It's like, he's like, it's, it's Christmas Eve, right? And his son is like, he's, he's taking his son out to Denny's or something. Like he's just failing at every stage of the plan. That's right. And he murders Santa Claus. Yeah. Actually kills him. In cold blood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, he, he sees a guy on the roof and he yells something. And Santa, who, you know, the series establishes has to deliver, he has to make 2.3 billion deliveries every year, has somehow never dealt with a guy on the ground being like, hey, buddy, what? What you doing up there and he just dies instantly and i mean if you think that's bad it's like in this one itchy and scratchy cartoon itchy's ribcage being like a xylophone two different ribs make the same sound uh ah, what am i saying like we're gonna have a lot of nitpicks like that to keep this episode afloat aren't we but in the santa claus you know he gradually becomes santa claus uh you know he first he's kind of cronenbergian body horror that's that's right he gradually morphs into it and eventually just embraces the role it is a little confusing how this works because obviously he says hey and Santa falls off the roof and dies. But it's also the case that his initials are the same as Santa's. So can you only inherit the Santa mantle if your name is like uh, Scott Calvin? Good, like if, good. if you or I killed Santa Claus, I don't think we'd become Santa Claus. Uh, you're wrong because you just saw a movie called The Santa Claus 3 that not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it establishes a reality where Jack Frost himself, who does not have those initials, is able to do yeah, the but same through, thing. Through an illegitimate process though through an illegitimate process based on legitimate like that's not the loophole that he's exploiting Mm, he's exploiting another loophole. okay well we're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves here but uh importantly in the first film scott calvin works at like some ghastly like toy company or something right and then at the end of the movie like he as santa claus when he kind of finally leans into the role he and david crumaltz like they modernize who's the head elf they modernize uh the north pole that's right it's a perfect synthesis of tradition and modernity yes yes because he basically basically turns the North Pole into Amazon and at the end of the movie like the message of the film is very clear because Judge Reinhold who's like the new husband and is a psychiatrist uh, Neil it's been established that he has this great trauma about Christmas he, because he's a psychiatrist he's a man of reason he's a man of science and so he doesn't believe in Christmas because that's like you know superstition but it turns out the real reason he doesn't believe in Christmas is because when he was a kid he wanted an Oscar Mayer weenie whistle and he never got it yeah. and that's because like uh, soulless toy companies you know the bad kind of capitalism that scott calvin works for they they can't give him for some reason the corporate branded weenie whistle but then at the end of the movie scott calvin as santa claus gives him the weenie whistle and yes as will says it's this perfect synthesis because what it's doing is it's reinventing the scott calvin character who's already a guy in the toy business and it's saying but now he's in like the magical toy business it's sort of obfuscating the fact that at the end of the day, the whole thing is just consecrated by, you know, the the Oscar Mayer weenie whistle. Like at the end of the day, this is all about a transaction and commodity. But but in the mythos of the Santa Claus, like the, the phantasmatic element, if you want, is, you know, some like nebula 
this idea of the the spirit of Christmas that's all about warmth and family and has nothing to do with monetary exchange or being an absentee uh, divorcee dad who uh, doesn't do a good job like putting up a Christmas tree for your kid the one night a year where he's like it might actually be happy to see you so that was the Santa Claus one and the Santa Claus two which came out a full eight years later <laughs> empires had risen and fallen many Tim Allen movies had come and gone before he returned to the character and in the the second film from 2002 this one isn't as vivid in my memory but there's a an additional clause in the contract a mrs clause that's right that states that within like 30 days he needs to get a wife uh or else he stops being sad kind of makes sense because it, it would make sense like i mean i feel like the first film establishes that the north pole is kind of like a hereditary like absolutist monarchy and so like he needs to birth an heir and continue but the, the, line. the santa that he there rep- needs to be like a young yeah. dauphin santa claus and yet the santa he replaced the one that he murdered which how did how is it possible that Santa died because he's magic? Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Like I don't know if you if you've got the like evolutionary you know power to like grow a beard in a second. <laughs> why why can't you get like bulletproof skin or whatever? I don't know. But anyway, in this and the, the Santa Claus that he, yeah, and, and and how does how does one guy visit every yeah, child in the world yeah. in one friggin' night? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Why don't they make the whole plane out of the black box? <laughs> But in the first one, did that Santa not have a wife? Did that Santa not have a... I guess they didn't hadn't discovered that thing in the contract yet. I don't know. I mean, th- this is the thing, is with the second movie... The contract is like the roadrunner when he goes off the cliff. If you don't know about it, like if you don't look down, you stay in the air. No, 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 because here's here's why these movies, like they really are about capitalism, okay? Yeah. Because, because in the second movie, like the first movie kind of like first mystifies and then demystifies Santa, okay? Uh, and then in the second movie... Like, now we're talking about, like, contracts and all this kind of stuff. Like, like the North Pole has become, it's, like, secularized, and Santa has been, like, desacralized as a figure. And it's established that the governing, ca- there is this kind of, like, governing council of the North Pole that has, like, the Sandman played by Worf, you know, Mr. Michael Dorn. Uh, Aisha Tyler plays, I don't know, the Mother of Time or something. There, uh, there's an Easter Bunny. Cupid. Fairy. Right, so it's, it's very, like, it's very, like, pagan. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's, it's, been, de- it's been de-Christianized. Yeah, I, I, did, I did wonder, like, what is there no place for god and satan at the council of <laughs> of legendary no, characters this is, this is what i'm saying it's like it's yeah. like a, it's like france in like 1794 they've de-christianized and they're experimenting with like i don't know it's the cult of the supreme being or something but yeah so the north pole has been very like you know demystified and and there's yeah there's like this elaborate system of rules where now santa is actually bound by a contract you know do you remember he's become more of a constitutional yeah. monarch like there's no like absolutism there's there's a higher like structure to the political order do you remember in the second one too there was a subplot <laughs> where while he goes looking for a wife he creates like a clone santa yeah well and that and that is the main source of conflict and then the clone santa is kind of who's i think like a toy santa and he's also played by tim allen he's also played by tim allen but he's like bad and he is basically the gary oldman character in air force one uh i don't really remember the film that well but as i rem- as i recall he really is sort of encoded as like what you know american politics politicians thought about like Saddam Hussein in the 90s where it's like he's not just encoded as like he's like you know a third world dictator or whatever but he's also supposed to be like a cold war era like anachronism or something that was my memory of it I don't know that, that's I the one I remember been, the least he might have been like Mussolini I remember him kind of dressing in a Mussolini well isn't way. he like a pastiche of just various kind of like authoritarian tropes anyway it doesn't matter he gets overthrown or whatever Santa Claus goes on various dates uh, and then he finds uh, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I don't like that movie. We're on to the third one. 
this time, Christmas is getting Jack. Jack Frost. You are hereby charged with attempting to upstage Santa Claus in a manner that is both willful and malicious. Excuse me. Did you just accuse me of being skillful and delicious? I'm tired of playing second fiddle. I'm going to be Santa Claus. Jack, you gotta let this go. You get TV specials and the postage stamps and the army of toy building yes men. What do I get? A few runny noses and some dead citrus. This holiday season, the most powerful clause of all. The escape clause. The escape clause. The escape clause. Will be triggered. <laughs> sending everyone back in time. <laughs> Tim Allen. Give me a status report. Your pants are on fire. Yes, they are. Martin Short. I'm Jack Frost. Okay, okay, chill. I invented chill. Hey, Mom. Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause. Ho, ho, ho. And this one is the worst of the three. This is easily the worst movie, but honestly, I joked at the beginning, like, I can't wait to see, like, what the thrilling conclusion of the series is. But, I mean, the first 80 minutes of this movie, boring as hell, boring as fuck, so bad. But then, like, there was 15 minutes where it's like, oh, man, this is the entire, like, ideological project of the Santa Claus franchise, like, coming to us strong. Like, just kept its powder dry for, like, 80 minutes and then just gave us both barrels. Yeah, so as you indicate, there are some basic structural problems with the third one, (laughs) which is that the third act complication should have happened at the end of Act 1. Yes. So the first two acts of this movie are basically that Scott Calvin, Santa, is now once again a workaholic, but he's a workaholic at the North Pole. Yeah. And so his wife, Mrs. Claus, who is nine months pregnant with the heir to the Claus fortune, you know, feels neglected by him. Also, her in-laws, played by Anne Margaret and Alan Arkin, <laughs> yeah. and Wendy Crewson, Santa's ex-wife, and Judge Reinhold, and their kids, they're all going to come. They're going to have a big family get-together. Yeah, they have a daughter. Judge Reinhold and Wendy Crewson, who is not Santa's biological child. An actress named Liliana Mummy, who apparently was in the second movie, but I have absolutely no memory yeah, of her. Yeah, I guess as a baby probably in the uh, second one. I guess one. so. Yeah. But they're all basically one big happy family except for the in-laws who don't like Mr. Claus, Scott Calvin. And, and uh, crucially, the in-laws do not know he's Santa. So Judge Reinhold and Wendy Crewson know he's Santa. Yes. But the yes. in-laws don't. And this has always been, and this is really hacked to complain about this, but this has always been my <laughs> biggest complaint about this franchise, which is that, I'm sorry I have to say this again, it's a world where Santa exists, where right. the presents get delivered, and yet you have to believe in him. Like, yeah. He, and he can't yeah. reveal us and and like a lot of people don't even though he actually does. Yep. But also, in this universe, it is important for Santa to remain mysterious. People can't know that he's Santa. People can't know that he exists. Yeah, because if, if Santa was de- if he was fully demystified and the, the joy and wonder were taken out of Christmas, all you'd have left is just raw monetary exchange. And there's no place for warmth and family and all of that. So the first two-thirds of this movie are that and tremendously boring. It's so hack. Mrs. Claus, you know, she wants a human family. She's quite prejudiced against the elves, I have to say. I mean, the elves are like, yeah, they all look like children, but they're all like 500 years old. Yeah, I'm sure they could make for interesting conversation if she tried, but she doesn't bother. The head elf, uh, Curtis, who is, I think, introduced in the second film. No longer played by David Crumholtz. Well, was, is, is it the same character? 
I'm not sure. I don't sure. think it's the same character. I think uh, David Crummels has just gotten a desk job or something. Uh, yeah, okay, maybe. But he's played by Spencer Breslin. I think he took a buyout. And, you know, he's living large in Martha's Vineyard or something. So anyway, at the UN Security Council, that is the council of uh, uh, legendary <laughs> characters, there is there is a rogue nation. Uh, and it is Jack Frost, played by Martin Short. And this is a subplot that runs through the first two thirds. Uh, Martin Short is constantly, as Jack Frost, like causing havoc around the world. I mean, he's Jack Frost, for God's sakes. He invented chill. Well, and he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that probably the only memorable line from the movie is when he just yells uh, at the daughter. If you had a TV <laughs> yeah. in the year 2006, you saw him say that on a lot of TV commercials. <laughs> but yeah, so Jack Frost is subject to a motion of censure on the, you know, uh, pagan guardian council that oversees the North Pole. Yeah, Bowl. he was saying the wrong slogan <laughs> yeah yeah so he, he's convicted of uh violating the legendary figures code of conduct uh and they tell him frost you herald a season not a holiday and so basically his sin is that he keeps like trying to upstage santa you know he's like a man with his own agenda he doesn't respect the hierarchy of the north pole he's not content with his place in like the the social pecking order and you know he should understand that the whole reason that he's there and that others haven't invaded is because santa as a member of the security council is propping him up okay <laughs> yeah. and and yet and yet he himself acts against santa to shore up populist sentiments within his own jurisdiction isn't, isn't that fucking insane can i just say again i mean it really is annoying that by the time you get to the third movie i mean it's basically every series particularly children's series well not even particularly all series that jump the shark they exhibit these exact same like morbid symptoms where it's like oh uh it's the north pole but it can't just be the north pole anymore we have to establish that there's like a constitution and a government council and that there's like this elaborate system of rules like the north pole is governed by various clauses haha ha, get it and it's like it actually does show what happens when you demystify christmas like the first movie which you know granted i probably found more mystical because i first watched it when i was five years old in 1994 or whatever like in that movie you as a kid watching that like eric lloyd is your surrogate character right charlie's your surrogate and you you get to like sit along with him first like not believing that his his dad could possibly be Santa Claus, but then being the one who actually like, because you're a kid and you understand the wonder of Christmas, like you take your dad over the threshold as he becomes Santa. You know what's also good about the first one? It focuses on the real meat and potato stuff of what's cool about Santa. That's right. It's like, how does he get down the chimney? No, and how right, do the elves yes, work? Exactly. And in this, you get to the North Pole, this and the and the second movie, you get to the North Pole, and in this movie, he's literally walking around like it's it's the Christmas, it's the holiday season. Christmas is coming up. He's going around, he's talking about like production quotas with the elves, and it's like it does destroy the magic of Christmas if you learn that the North Pole operates on like a Fordist production method. I did think it was interesting that the North Pole seemed to still look rather quaint despite all of the modernization strategies that Scott Calvin introduced, which makes me think that actually there's a sort of metropolis-like subterranean network <laughs> yeah, here where yeah. the real work is done and what we're seeing is just kind of like there, there's the an facade. There's a deleted scene where uh, like a manhole cover or something is like briefly open and there's just like this emaciated elf who pops her head out and they're like, kill me. I do think the aesthetic of the North Pole is interesting in this movie because you're right. Disagree, it, but go it, ahead. It, well, well, there's just, there's something interesting is maybe too strong, <laughs> too generous a word. Um, but there's something going on with, like, it is the same North Pole. It's kind of your traditional, quaint, bucolic North Pole. But for some reason in this movie, there's actually a lot of product placement. Like, there's a Red Bull machine. I mean, I think it's called, like, Strong Bull, but it's just Red Bull. It's the same logo. Yeah, there, I, there's I a scene that. where they where they arrive, uh, the in-laws arrive, and all the kids, 
kids, the elves, who have to pretend that they're in Canada, uh, and this is Canada, not North Pole, they're all wearing, like, Roots gear and stuff. That rather reminded me of the scene in Man of Steel when, you know, Man of Steel takes place in Superman's hometown of Smallville, which in most depictions has been this bucolic, untouched by modernity, like, little small town. But in Man of Steel, there's a very prominent bed, bath, and beyond. <laughs> and you, you, you see it, and your heart just kind of sinks yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it's that like, sucks. oh, God, like, <laughs> not even this fictional small town is sacred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a fucking Starbucks. Anyway, so uh, it's established that in addition to there being, you know, production quotas and an extremely convoluted constitutional system that everyone in the North Pole has had to swear fealty to and operate under, uh, there's also a very sort of post-9-11 security regime in place. There's something called the Elfland Security Act. And uh, Curtis, the new head elf, who we get to see him later in like the, the dark timeline. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but I don't like Curtis. He gives off bad vibes and he's a company man whenever he like, appears. Some people are just leaders and others are followers. There's, cer- there's certain kinds of people who just whatever the reigning political order is, they're loyal to it. And Curtis is one of those. I don't trust him. Like I said before, the first two thirds of the movie, it's all that. Pretty boring. It's all the subterfuge, you know, trying to get the in-laws to think it's Canada instead of the North Pole. A lot of really tepid shenanigans there. He, he also, though, he he does strike up a kind of like wry alliance with uh, Curtis and he learns about various like... Uh, Jack Frost ja- Jack Frost does. He Jack Frost learns from kind of buttering Curtis up and perhaps implicitly promising him like a prominent role if, if, if a new regime is established. He gets Curtis to reveal, you know, certain state secrets about the existence of uh, the Hall of Snow Globes and also about the escape clause, which is kind of like, I don't know, it's, you know, Article 50 of the EU Constitution or whatever. It's an opt-out clause by which, like, Santa can do a Brexit and, like, disaffiliate from the North Pole. Armed with that knowledge, he's able to finally, after, you know, spending much of the movie, like, he's undermining Santa, he's, like, sabotaging the machines, so Christmas is ruined. He ruins, like, various things so the in-laws, like Santa, who, you know, they think is a Canadian toy maker, even less. But now, armed with this vital state secret, he's finally able to do a coup d'etat and trick Santa into saying, like, the exact sequence of words holding the snow globe that he's stolen from the secretive hall of snow globes. He tricks Santa into holding it by giving it to him as a present. He puts Santa into a crisis of confidence by doing all of this subterfuge and sabotage. He gets Santa to say the magic words, and then we're whisked back in time to the moment in the first Santa Claus movie where Scott Calvin accidentally kills Santa Claus. Right, and so they're back at that moment. Martin Short leaps and kills Santa Claus before Scott Calvin has a chance, puts on Santa's coat. Boom, boom, boom. The timeline's all different. Smash cut to 12 years later. Jack Frost has been on the throne as Santa Claus for 12 years. Scott Calvin has been back as the head of his toy company, his big city toy company for 12 years. Tim Allen looks like Tim Allen again. He's like such an absentee dad. Like he clearly hasn't seen his kid in years. In this moment, 12 years have passed and Scott Calvin apparently now doesn't remember the last 12 years Mm -hmm. because he wasn't there for that timeline. Mm -hmm. He's just now at the end of it. Mm -hmm. He didn't see the timeline, which I think is a problem. (laughs) Uh, It would be very confusing to have 12 years of your life just just gone. Uh, But what really matters is that he learns that in that 12 years that Jack Frost has been on the throne in this parallel timeline, he has completely desacralized the North Pole. He's turned the North... so funny. He's turned the North Pole into Pottersville, but not Pottersville, more like Disneyland. Uh, He has completely commercialized and demystified the North Pole. There are now daily direct flights to the North Pole that families and tourists can 
go to. Yes. Uh, all the elves are basically performers now. There's like pin the tail on the donkey games. There's shopping malls. And Jack Frost himself, who is now Santa Claus, is at the center of it all. He is the sort of Trumpian um, yes. Yes. Um, showman at the center of it all. Yes. And so we learn a number of things about how the North Pole now operates. And there are a number of things that aren't mentioned, but I just noticed and I think are interesting. I do think it's interesting that one of the first big differences you notice in what's supposed to now be like the decadent devolved North Pole is that there's a lot more like racial diversity. Yeah, that's it's pretty. It's pretty hard to miss that. It's like, oh, now there's all this tourism, including all these like foreign tourists who don't belong here. Gross. It's like, oh, no, the North Pole is no longer Lily White. The other thing is there's cops all of a sudden. The cops don't seem to have any lines, but it's just interesting that there are cops there because it's estab- It's later established that when like the equilibrium is restored and like the true uh, spirit of Christmas reigns again at the North Pole, like they do have some kind of elven security force, but they're much less threatening. Whereas in this scene, they're just NYPD guys, basically. I just think that's interesting. I don't exactly... Well, it's not a closed society anymore <laughs> is the thing. Like at a certain point, you're going to need to have some kind of law enforcement. There <laughs> There are probably hotels, right? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely hotels. It's it's all gaudy. Jack Frost is like making like announcements over some kind of PA system. And he says, kids, remember uh, the amount your parents love you is the amount they spend on your presence. It's Epcot. Yeah, exactly. And uh, very importantly, Jack Frost has passed new legislation whereby toy delivery has been canceled and he's made it so that only people who can afford to come to the North Pole can actually buy gifts. So Christmas is no longer like democratic and a egalitarian it's like it's buying toys for your kids it's basically like the purchase of indulgences he's like elon musk you know like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, with yeah. the with the twitter verified that's system. right right this is that's the new idea. twitter yeah that's his idea of democracy <laughs> yeah it's right money but i will say in other crucial ways Jack Frost has made the North Pole more democratic. Uh-huh. Uh, How's be- that, Will? Well, in the big climactic scene where Santa is like doing his big like Vegas act on stage and Tim Allen jumps on the stage and says, no, this isn't what Christmas is about. Imagine this guy comes on stage and says, you're a tourist. You brought your family here. This is your Disney yeah, trip. Yeah, I'm going to punch Santa Claus in front I'm of gonna you. I'm going to punch Santa Claus and say, you're not supposed to be here. You, the <laughs> rabble, the dirty, unwashed mob. <laughs> yeah, are, that's right. Are, yeah, yeah. Are, you're, it's, you've come and taken a dump in Buckingham Palace is what you've done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've always felt that... What Jack Frost does to the North Pole here is what we should do to Buckingham Palace. We should <laughs> yeah, all yeah. be able to go in like we would a museum, and the royal family should be there doing shows every day. <laughs> yeah. I have always felt that. And so in certain ways, I don't agree with all of Jack Frost's reforms, but some of them I do agree <laughs> with. And in fact, the presence of police suggests that there is now some sort of uh, system of law in place. There's some accountability, perhaps, even. Uh, you you think the power of the Guardian Council has been reduced. I feel like it's yeah, not really an unelected body. You know, uh-huh. I mean, obviously Jack Frost isn't elected either. Mm-hmm. But like, there's but probably he's, a, he's like an enlightened despot. There's probably a court system, right? <laughs> you know. Well, anyway. Uh, there's a lot it's of- not my ideal system, <laughs> but I think it's better on balance. Get this through your head. You're not Santa anymore. You're just a guy who smells like a cookie. 
Well, anyway, uh, there's a lot of ideology in this final act of the movie. However, it is really annoying how just, yeah, the movie, like, this movie's so fucking boring. 80 minutes, 90 minutes. Well, yeah, minutes. putting ideology and everything else and then, aside. And, and then, and then yeah. the, the way that Scott Calvin, like, defeats, like, the usurper Santa Claus is just, like, a gimmick. Like, he gets, So like, lazy. It's so stupid. Like, it's totally arbitrary and, and just random. Like, he basically, like, uses some, I don't know, North Pole uh, vintage, like, yak back or something that has a recording of Martin Short as Santa saying, oh, I wish I'd never been Santa. And then he just tricks him into holding the snow globe and holds the yak back or whatever. And so it's just it's just Which a trick. I think, you know, whatever the metaphysics of this are, they don't line up because it, the snow globe shouldn't recognize a machine source as being a human voice. I completely agree. But a- anyway. Yeah, it's like, is the snow globe a sacred object or not? There should be some intelligence. And also, who imbues the snow globes with the power? Is it the Guardian Council or whatever? Because there should be some, like, court of appeals or something that, like, there should be checks and balances in place for Santa being like tricked like this. I don't know. See, I actually have a bit of a different response to this. I would actually prefer it if like the sanctity of the North Pole was upheld because it's not really just about who gets to go to the North Pole or not. It's about like the stakes of whether the North Pole maintains like some mystery or magic to it. That's our last uh, protection against a reality that's purely defined by commodity. Like the world of the snow globes is like the last place to have been demystified. This is liberal triangulation if I ever heard it. It's like, yeah, you know, you think Scott Calvin Santa is the lesser of two evils, basically. <laughs> because Martin Short Santa is just a difference in degree, not kind. The vulgarity oh, that oh, he has. No, no, no. So I, I completely agree. And I want to get to our, our political, because we do have a, we have arrived at a political reading of this movie. However, uh, we should just uh, tie up the plot because at the end, I was wondering about the fate of Jack Frost. And I was like, well, I hope this movie just kills Jack Frost because like, come on, he is the villain. But it turns out that Lucy, the daughter, just gives him a big hug and melts him. So the love of a child uh, And he turns into not Jack Frost anymore. He just turns into Martin Short. That's right. Just a regular Martin Short. And I'm not really sure, like, what is his role going to be? Also, Jack Frost is, like, the source of winter, right? And cold. So, like, congratulations, Lucy. You just melted the fucking ice caps. Looking forward to Santa Claus 4 Waterworld. (laughs) The way the last 20 minutes of this movie is just so rushed through compared to how plodding and boring the first 60 minutes. (laughs) are is insane i mean just this is a first draft script right here total wasted opportunity (laughs) like if if the switch had happened 25 minutes in you could have had so much more time for scott calvin to like like reflect on his lot in life be like well geez there could be there could have been conflicts about like well maybe i like not being santa like like what what if he got back to his life and he had to it's like it could have been like a, a christmas carol or something where he visits like he's visited by several like specters and they all like reveal something to him. It could this could have been like the last temptation of Santa. <laughs> where he's like well geez what if I what if I gave up this heavy burden what if I just lived as a man might that be preferable it could have been great probably not <laughs> could have been better could have been better yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah at the end of the film also Scott Calvin Santa comes out to his in-laws as Santa <laughs> yeah right right he right. says I've always been Santa <laughs> my pronouns are ho and ho <laughs> and that is how it ends with a big group hug yeah and also there are bloopers at the end oh man okay this, these are some of the worst I bloopers would put them in the fire these are these are so obviously staged and they're just made to like make Tim Allen look like he's fun to work with which
which by all accounts, he's not. Yeah, I've got an article in here from The Hollywood Reporter called Casey Wilson says Tim Allen was, quote, so fucking rude, unquote, <laughs> on Santa Claus's set. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess uh, she was one of his co-stars in the Disney Plus show. She said, and I quote, Tim Allen was such a bitch. It was the truly <laughs> single worst experience I've ever had with a co-star ever. Uh, so I'm in a scene. It's just me and Tim Allen, and I'm supposed to throw things at him. I think he's a burglar, so he's coming down the chimney, obviously a Santa. So I'm throwing things over at him. He goes over to the producer, who is standing four feet from me, and goes, and I hear him. He goes, you got to tell her to stop stepping on my lines. The producer turns to me with horror on his face and has to walk one foot to me and goes, um, Tim would ask that you stop stepping on his lines. Uh, she also added that everybody was walking on eggshells <laughs> around Alan. So, so it sounds like the spirit of Jack Frost is alive and well. Huh? Yeah. And in the bloopers for this movie, it's stuff like he's hammered up and then Aisha Tyler is going like, oh, Tim, there's not supposed to be laughter in this scene. Somebody wrote that for her. She, there's, you, yeah. Can you thaw my? <laughs> Can you thaw my? <laughs> <laughs> Tim! What? I was laughing because it was in the scene. There's no laughing in the scene. I was scene. happy. There's like a masked gunman holding a placard just off screen that she's reading from. Do you remember that every episode of Home Improvement actually ended with bloopers? <laughs> Which, that's when you know it's staged. Not every episode is going to have funny bloops. There was one in particular where, like, one of the co-stars in the scene, his scene partner, he was supposed to say, I'm my own man, but he accidentally said, I'm my own wife. <laughs> Which you can imagine the sort of the sort of laughs that a comedian like Tim Allen would come up with with a setup like that. And I remember as as a child of eight, you know, watching that and thinking, I don't think that's real. I don't think somebody would confuse man and wife like verbally. You know, that's not a flub that one naturally makes. So anyway, that's the end of the film. All right, so let's let's get to what our reading of the movie is. And again, just like in the first one, you know, folks, what's in a weenie whistle? To me, it all comes back to the weenie whistle. And in this film, the weenie whistle encapsulates the essential contradiction at the heart of the Santa Claus franchise because it wants to be about the spirit of Christmas, which is above like crass monetary exchange. But at the end of the day, what consecrates that, what ties that all together is not just any weenie whistle, an Oscar Mayer weenie whistle. Scott Calvin goes from being, you know, a mere toy merchant to being a toy merchant who's basically Jeff Bezos and is able to be an efficient Santa Claus that can give, that can reinfuse capitalism with a sense of mystery and wonder uh, by giving every kid their weenie whistle or whatever like esoteric product they want. And in the third movie, the same contradiction is embodied in the conflict between uh, Jack Frost and Santa Claus. Well, you know, it's funny when Scott Calvin takes the stage, when he ambushes the stage of Jack Frost's Christmas extravaganza in the dark timeline, he says words to the effect of these trinkets, this junk, this isn't the spirit of Christmas, yes. which you could have fooled me based on this franchise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, which has been all about from the very first movie has been all about, hey, uh, you know, Santa's sleigh. Well, what if it had a cookie and cocoa dispenser in it? That's right. What if Judge Reinhold, who's, you know, the man of reason, had his faith restored by getting an Oscar Mayer weenie whistle? You're right. This whole series, this whole trilogy wants to have its cake and eat it too, just like modern uh, consumer capitalism. And you were pointing out that there were various things about like Jack Frost North Pole that you didn't really have an 
objection to. And I think I mean, that, in the context of this universe, yes, I agree. In the context of the rules established, and I and what I and I noticed that uh, for the first time, well before Jack Frost coup d'état, there is like consumerism at the North Pole. There's a Red Bull machine. Yeah. There's like Roots clothing and stuff. So like Scott Calvin's already sold out. What is his real objection to Jack Frost? And it's the Jack Frost is crass. He's populist. That's right. He's brought all these unwashed masses right. to the North Pole. That's right. He's violated the sanctity of a an elite space. Yes, and he's stripped Christmas of artifice by like remo- removing the mystery entirely. Like the last layer of mystery is gone. People can just purchase like virtue for their kids, like as indulgences in the form of toys. Like it's all raw monetary exchange. You know, he's a he's a carnival barker. So he's basically Donald Trump, right? Yeah, I'm afraid so. <laughs> and and Scott Calvin is basically Barack Obama. These are two figures who are presiding over the same order around the same epoch in history. And like both of them have an ironclad, unshakable belief in the virtues of capitalism as an economic system. You can't change it to do so is very threatening and dangerous. You can't even really tinker with or reform it. But what you can contest is like, what story do you tell about it? And Scott Calvin's Santa Claus, he tells a story that's like imbued with like greatness and mystery and wonder, just like Obama did. Just like every Obama speech was always about how like this moment in time, the middle of the middle of the middle where we already are is actually like an exciting like march of progress into the future or something. And along comes Donald Trump. And the biggest problem with him, at least for uh, some of America's liberals, is that, yeah, he's crass. He thinks class is a noun that means refinement. And yeah, he's like entertaining and gets big crowds, which is like the most dangerous thing ever. Politics should, there should never be big crowds, which is also why uh, both of the Bernie campaigns were really just mirror images of the Trump campaigns. That fundamentally is what it feels like this movie is about. I mean, obviously it came out in 2006, so it's not actually about Barack Obama and Donald Trump. But I do feel like it is about... It's about an insecurity at the heart of, yes. of that project. Yes, an unresolvable contradiction that can only be papered over, but never uh, resolved. Anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, next year's Christmas installment. Th- there, is there a Santa Claus 4? Is there like a no, straight-to-beat video? Uh, there's no Santa Claus 4, but there is this new Disney Plus oh, show. Then. I mean, we'll have and to I watch am, that. And now, finally, after yeah. years of doing this, I am kind of excited about, okay, <laughs> like, what happens in the modern context? What hap- <laughs> wh- Where does the franchise go after Trump and wh- the Biden era? Where does, it, where does it fit within, like, the timeline? Is it like a retelling of the story? Is it a prequel? Is so it a sequel? I, it's called the Santa clauses plural and please don't write in and tell me what it is because i want to be surprised a year from now and also i don't care yeah don't demystify yeah. the santa claus we're gonna fi- we're gonna find out by ourselves the lesson in all of this so no comments <laughs> don't tell me what happens in it we're waiting a year i think what happens is there are, there are several heirs to the santa throne because santa can no longer just be a white man you know what i mean you know we're, we're in a pluralistic society now we're in a multicultural uh-huh. society now we're in a society where the monoculture and the monomyth have been chipped away at uh-huh. and so there are going to be several different santas who help him and they're younger and they're diverse i don't know That's well it is it is a tim allen joint so it could actually have like a it could actually be revanchist tim allen is a fiscal conservative <laughs> <laughs> and and also crucially overseeing all of these new santas will be a white male patriarchal figure 
in the form of Tim Allen. You know, <laughs> he is still the spine of all this, but so, there will be several junior partners. It'll be, it'll be like Barbie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, it's the end of 2023, everyone. So uh, Merry Christmas or whatever you're celebrating this time of year, uh, wherever you Pro- are. Probably not Christmas. And from, but... <laughs> from, where, from wherever you're listening, we hope this episode and this show have brought you a little bit of joy, both in the holiday season and beyond. It's been a lot of fun for us to do. Uh, and I just like to say, I think this may have been the episode that has finally irredeemably broken my brain and which I will never recover from. Now watch this drive. Way up north by the polar sea, where it's just as cold as cold can be. Old Jack Frost awoke one morning from a long, long sleep, and he said with a yawn, Ho-hum, the time has come to freeze the trees and roses. And when that's done, I'll have some fun, nipping little toes and noses. And a snow sack too He covered the ground with snowflakes white The hills and dales were a beautiful sight Ho-hum, the time has come To freeze the roads and lanes And when that's done I'll have some fun Painting pictures on window panes Yeah.